We're in Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 this morning. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi chapter 4. You find it in your Bible? If you can't find Malachi chapter 4, look for Matthew chapter 1. Because Matthew chapter 1 is actually the next chapter in your Bible from Malachi chapter 4. So we're starting uh, the last two messages in Malachi. We're going to be in uh, Malachi chapter 4 today, and we'll be in Malachi chapter 4 uh, next Sunday. And then we will begin a new uh, series of messages that will take us into the fall. And what we're doing is each Sunday uh, beginning, uh, once Malachi is concluded, we'll be looking at a different parable uh, from the teachings of Christ. So a different parable each and every week. Uh, so if you have a favorite parable that you want us to talk about, well, we've already picked them. So I don't know what to tell you. You just, hopefully you get lucky and it's one of your favorite ones is talked about because uh, there's way too many for us to cover in the course of a summer. Uh, but I've already set the schedule and uh, my schedule, it might, will not change my schedule unless the Holy Spirit says um, I have to do so. All right, Malachi chapter four, that day. That day. That's the title of the message. That day. And what is that day in the scripture? Whenever we're talking about that day, throughout the scripture, and we're talking Old Testament to the book of Revelation, that day is what we call the day of the Lord. That day is the day of the Lord. That day when Christ uh, finally arrives in all of his glory, power, and his kingdom is, is set up and everything is, is made due. So that day, Old Testament and New Testament, is a reference point uh, that's critically important for all believers. And in the book of Malachi, he is going to take everything he's been talking about in the book of Malachi and sort of sum it up in an understanding of that day. So really, we're just going to look at two different facets of that day. That is the day of the Lord. Now, for believers in, in our time, I need to, to be clear. Many of us, when we think of that day or the day of the Lord, you may be thinking of what is often referred to as the rapture. Now, what we would describe as the rapture would be a part of that day. But in the scripture, when it's talking about the day of the Lord, it is that great and terrible day when he comes in victory. When those who are uh, in Christ uh, are raised to glory, those who are not in Christ, bad day. It's a real bad day. I mean, the day is described in terms that are, are extraordinarily terrible. So when we're talking about that day, uh, we're talking a little bit more broadly than just a day when everybody is taken up. It's the day of the Lord, the day of ultimate and complete victory uh, by Christ. So two uh, things to understand about that day in Malachi, and it's these two things. So I'm going to give you the outline at the beginning, and you may decide, well, there's no reason to stay. I know the whole thing, but we'll hopefully we'll keep it going. That day, number one, is the day of reckoning. And we have to be clear on that. We're not playing. That day is the day of reckoning. It is a day of reckoning. The day of the Lord is a day of reckoning. And secondly, that day is a day of great victory. Day of reckoning and a day of great victory. If you want to, you can turn with me and to Psalm chapter 51. Psalm uh, 51 is a, a famous psalm. It was written by uh, David. Oh, for the love of Pete. 
My Bible is broken. Hold on. What's that? Yeah, I can't turn. The pages are stuck together. Psalm 51. Oh, man, I almost had to use my paper Bible. Can you believe it? Okay, Psalm 51, verse 4. David, of course, what had happened in David's life? He had committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he had murdered her husband. So those are two things that, if you're not clear, are morally wrong. Okay? Committing adultery and then murdering the husband of the woman he slept with. Uh, Here's what he says in Psalm chapter 4. Against you, he's talking to the Lord, Psalm 51, verse 4. Against you, Lord, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Don't you find that troubling? Didn't he sin against Bathsheba? I mean, didn't he sin against Bathsheba? I mean, he, he, uh, he slept with Bathsheba, and you say, well, she consented. Really? Do you not consent to the king? Do, you, do, do women say no to the king? No, that, that, that's a, and we know this better even now in our days, that's a power dynamic. There is not a way for her to consent to sleeping with David. That's, that's, a, that's a problem. Secondly, didn't he sin against Bathsheba by murdering her husband? Aren't these bad things? Didn't he sin against his general Joab by saying, murder her husband for me? But, but he has the gall here to say he has sinned against the Lord Alone. Now we have to understand, theologically, he's not saying he didn't sin against these other people. What he's saying is, judgment for my sin is from the Lord and the Lord alone. My sin is primarily against God and God alone. Why is that important? If I sin against you, I might have the means to make up for it. If I sin against God, there is no way for me to make up for it. And what David is putting uh, for us is doing, he's casting into proper light our sin. Many of us think my sin's not that bad. I've never killed anybody. I've never run over a cat. Uh, I've never cheated on my taxes. I've never rooted for the Steelers. I don't know. All the things that people can do that I know, that's terrible. All these things people can do. I've never done any of these things. But if my sin is against the Lord, there is no minor sin, is it? What he is saying is, my sin is against the Lord, so therefore, if I have sinned against the Lord, I am owed a day of reckoning with the Lord. That's Psalm 51. Go back to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. I'm sorry for uh, messing that up. Uh, so what we need to understand is all sin against, is against God alone. Certainly there is, uh, there is sin that is done against others, but ultimately all sin is an offense to God. That means all justice for our sin comes from God alone. All justice for our sin comes from God alone. This is not God getting revenge. God does not need to get revenge. Revenge is taken by people who don't have enough. And so they have to get it back. God is not short on resource, power, or life. He doesn't take revenge. He executes perfect justice. And what the psalmist is doing for us is saying, All sin is against God, so all judgment will be from God, and from God, justice will be uh, brought. And so let's go back to Malachi chapter 4.1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. All the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. If you have a burning oven, how long does it take to burn up stubble? Like, it's really fast. It's really fast. 
Uh, years ago, when I used to drive back and forth between Portland, they used to allow the farmers at certain points to clear their fields by burning them. Do you remember this? Have, you, have you ever driven up 5-5 when one of those fields is going? You just feel like you're driving into hell. I mean, there's just a plume of smoke. You're like, I wonder if that's going to cross the freeway, you know? Now, they, of course, don't allow them to do it anymore, but that's a, you, you see how fast it just burns through that stubble. And, and the Bible says, look, for the evildoers, the day of the Lord is coming like an oven, and, the, and, and evildoers are stubble. And this is important because earlier in the book of Malachi, look back to Malachi 3, verse 13. It's just right up a little bit higher in your Bible. He's, this is what the prophet says. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. And he'd say, how have our words been hard against you? Because you've said it is vain to serve God. What's the profit of keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? We call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. So he's giving the answer. Does it ever look like evildoers prosper and do well? They say, yeah, that's what they're supposed to do. Stubble grows before the fire comes. And what he's saying is that great oven of the Lord is coming, and the day that the stubble is prospering will soon be at an end, and it won't endure. It'll go up uh, quickly. Rebellion against God brings judgment. All of us, every single person has sinned against God, and we deserve to be thrown into that oven as stubble. It is only by God's grace that we might avoid that, that great day of the Lord, the, the harm that will come from that day. All evil will be punished. All evil will be accounted for. So why would we want to not be counted among the evil? Because of that day. It's really important corrective for many of us. Many of us think the reason I do things good, because if you think do things God's way, God's blessing will be poured out on you. And I would suggest the Bible says that is true. However, God gets to define what that blessing is. Just pay attention to that. But many of us say, well, so if you do wrong things and don't do things God's way, things won't work out for you. Does anybody know anybody bad who has everything go their way? Yeah, usually they're a relative you don't like. Like, how does, how does that guy get, how does everything work out for that guy? He's a terrible, terrible person. And it's because... The final day of justice is not today, it's not Thursday, it's not whatever day you think it ought to be. The final day where all justice is finally taken care of is what day? That day. Is it that day yet? If you have to ask if it's that day, it's not. Because that day will, when it's that day, you won't say, gee, I wonder if it's that day. You know, it's today, it's on. That's what that day will be like. Okay, Toy Story 3. Anybody remember Toy Story 3? And the big bear, right? At the end of that movie, all the toys find themselves all the toys find themselves in the in the dump, right? Do you remember that scene? I, I'd play it for you, but the copyright won't let us stream it. Um, so that all the things are getting uh, chopped up. I don't want to give away the end of the movie, but the good guys win. Um, Woody and all of his team are trying to get out of the dump, and what's at the very end of that thing? Remember that? All of the scrap is flowing into this big furnace. Do you, I don't. Do you remember that? I can't tell. You you didn't show this movie to your grandkids? This is a good movie. Most of us cried at the end. Okay? So this thing is going into the furnace, and, every, and they're trying to claw their way out and get it. And you know, that's such a great picture of the day of the Lord. That, that day is coming. There, there, it is inevitable. God's justice will be done. The question is not whether or not the furnace is coming. The question is whether the individual is destined for the furnace. 
That is the question. Now, some of us are offended by this. Well, how can a good God, how can a good God uh, send people into that furnace? Well, let me just put it this way. Do you think Hitler ought to be in that furnace? So where are you going to draw the line on who ought to have that furnace? So we're really bad at that. Basically, when people sin the way I do, they shouldn't be harmed. That's innocent sin. When people sin differently than me, oh yeah, they should go in the furnace. And now, right? That's normally, because we are not properly just. We, uh, We seek justice, but because of sin, our justice muscle has been messed up. So we tend to be lenient on people who mess up the way we do, and we tend to be lenient on people who are like us, and people who sin differently than us, and people who are not like us, we tend to call for strict justice. Thankfully, the day of the Lord will be perfect justice. And, and God will handle it uh, rightly. Okay, let's turn over to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Matthew, Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. And again, you're thinking, that's so far away. No, it's three chapters from Malachi. It's like two or three pages away, isn't it? All right, here's what John the Baptist says about Jesus. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and what? Do you read it? What does it say? Fire. Okay, that's interesting. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. Now what's he do with what's left? What's left after you gather wheat? Chaff. What, what do we call that in Malachi? Stubble. His stubble, though, his chaff, will be burned with an unquenchable fire. So we have Malachi saying, listen, the day of the Lord is coming, and the, it's like an oven, and the stubble will be burned. The proper response for the, to that verse for every human who has ever lived is, well, I don't want to be stubble. That, that's the proper response. Now, most of us in our rebellion will say, I don't deserve to be stubble. I'm pretty good. That's not the proper response to Malachi 4.1. The proper response is, well, I don't want to be stubble. I don't want to go in the oven. I don't want to be an evildoer. Okay, so is that true for, it's a small group. You can engage with me. Does anybody here not want to be stubble? Okay, so everybody here, to avoid being stubble, uh, you have to not be an evildoer. Okay? How's that going? If you're not sure, ask your spouse. And, and they'll tell you exactly how that's going. Most of, a, most of you are turning to your spouse saying, I have fun, stubble. <laughs> right? So what do we do since we aren't able to not be stubble? How do we get out of it? And this is what we discover from John the Baptist. He baptizes into repentance. There is a way to change identity to becoming wheat instead of stubble, and the way you do that is to be baptized with what? End of verse 11, Matthew 3. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. What happened the day of Pentecost? Baptists don't like to talk about it because weird stuff happened. Right? Wind, speaking in tongues, and fire. The Holy Spirit comes on. So let me put it this way. Here's a simple way of thinking about it. We are going to be baptized by fire. You've got two ways of doing that. Baptized with the fire of the Holy Spirit and Christ's cleansing work now, or the fires of the oven on what day? That day. 
We have two choices. We are going to go through the fire. The question is, do we want the fire of the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit, or do we want the fire of that day? In order to be cleansed by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to acknowledge we can't make ourselves right. We need Christ to make us right through his work on the cross. And we say, I want to be identified with, with Christ instead of my own sin. And the result is then, we are baptized into Christ by the Spirit, and we are cleansed by him. We are cleansed in two ways. Number one, when we get saved, we are immediately made righteous and clothed with the righteousness of Christ. So if you're in Christ, you're as righteous as Christ is. Who this week lived as righteous as Christ? Good. <laughs> Nobody raised their hand because that would be embarrassing. We'd point some things out. Okay? So I didn't, I am identified as righteous as Christ, but I'm not as righteous as Christ. So how do I get it so that I can live the way Christ wants me to live, even though I, I can't? What do I do? I can't do anything. I can seek to worship him with my life. I can seek to know him through his word. I can seek to pray and acknowledge him through uh, prayer and repentance and confession. But at the end of the day, the Bible makes clear the one way the Holy Spirit most effectively works out righteousness in us is what? Suffering, difficulty, life not being awesome. So we walk through the cleansing fire of the Holy Spirit. He makes us righteous. And then Jesus says, by my grace, I am going to, for the rest of your life, do whatever it takes to make you more and more righteous in your day-to-day -day living. And the most effective way he does that is through difficulty and suffering. And, and now the room got a little quiet. We don't like that. I thought he made us righteous by giving us everything we ever wanted. He might, that is not terribly effective oftentimes, but one of the most effective, that's why Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. It wasn't take up your cross for five minutes when you get saved and then follow me in a life of perfect blessing. It's, I'm going to take you through the fire to make you like me over the course of this life. And many of us uh, don't want to hear that. That day is a day of reckoning for the arrogant evildoers. To come out of that day of reckoning is to engage with Christ by faith and instead walk with him through the fire of the Spirit and walking with Him in day-to-day -day life today. Okay, a quick uh, illustration of that in the Old Testament. Turn to Daniel chapter 3. I'm not going to read all of Daniel chapter 3. I'm just going to turn there uh, as a point of reference. King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, he made an image of gold. Its height was 60 cubits. 60 cubits. That's pretty tall. What's a cubit? It's a cubit at what? Is that here? Foot and a half, two feet? Is that about right? Okay, for point of reference, the gym, the top of the parapet on the gym, I think is 30 feet. Okay, so that's a tall golden image, isn't it? That's really tall. Okay, so he set up this thing, and what happens? You've seen the VeggieTales special, you know what happens. He set it up, and he said, listen, when the music plays, everybody has to bow down and worship. So the music played. We don't know where Daniel is during this scene, but we know where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are. The music plays, and what do they do? They just stand around. They're not, they're not worshiping a golden image, Okay. They're not worshiping. The king, of course, blows a gasket. They bring him forward, and he says, listen, uh, no harm, no foul. We'll play the music again. Uh, it probably was, uh, I don't know what the music would have been, probably something from the 80s. Play the music again, give you another shot, and, and, uh, and the, the three guys are like, well, we're not going to worship the thing. And he said, listen, uh, you, could throw us into, and you could throw us into the furnace. And, and, uh, and Nebuchadnezzar said, I'll throw you in the furnace, you'll die in there. They said, 
we'll see whose God will we'll save you. And they say, listen, you throw us in the furnace. If God saves us or not, that's up to him. We're still not going to worship that thing. We're not, we're not stupid. We're, we're more afraid, listen, of that day of burning than this day of burning. God's oven is bigger. Your oven is, well, that's very precious, very cute. It's a very nice furnace, Nebuchadnezzar. It, how long is it going to take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to die in Nebuchadnezzar's furnace? Like, no time at all. In fact, we discover when they get thrown into the furnace, the guards die before they get them thrown into the furnace. How long does God's furnace burn? Yeah, forever. It's bad. That's a bad furnace. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, basically they said this. Now, you're not going to like this. this you're going to find this terribly offensive because the day of the Lord is offensive to most of us. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego realized in that moment, we are going to hell. We want the short one. We're going to burn in fire. We'll take the fire that's like 10 seconds. That we might, by faith in the Lord, avoid that great fire. And that's, so oftentimes we think these guys are overly spiritual. They're not terribly spiritual. They're just really, really smart at figuring out the easiest way to go. Let's die in the fire that kills you. Not in the fire that kills you twice. And so they get chucked into the furnace. And who's in the furnace with them? Christ. I love that they're walking around with Jesus in the furnace. I love that. Because if you want a picture of the Christian life, many of us want a picture of the Christian life, it's a Thomas Kincaid painting. Okay? And I, I'm nothing against Thomas Kincaid. Painter of light. Beautiful pictures. Whatever. I don't own one. I can't afford them. Does, do they still sell those? I don't even know. Okay, anyway. Great pictures, beautiful. I, I feel bad that I've offended the Thomas Kincaid fans. <laughs> that's a, those are great pictures. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace with Jesus, that's a great picture of the Christian life. Baptized by the fire of Christ and coming out righteous. Having gone into the fire with Christ, they avoid the fire of that day. So here's the thing, all humans need to decide, us and every person who might hear the good news of the gospel, we need to choose which fire we want to burn in. Do we want to burn in the baptism of Christ's fire today by acknowledging my sin is against him, receiving his Holy Spirit and righteousness and being willing to walk with him day in and day out, carrying the cross, knowing life is gonna be hard, or do I wanna risk that day? And well-informed people are smart enough to say, you know what, I'm going to take this one. I'm going to be baptized with this fire, and on that day, I will experience deliverance. The question every single person needs to ask themselves is, who is going to pay for my sin and when? If I want righteousness in Christ, I'm going to let Jesus pay for my sin now. If I want to make it on my own, I'm going to pay for my sin on that day. And we need to be, realize that when we see arrogant evildoers uh, uh, excelling and succeeding and prospering, we need to say, oh, they've just decided to pay for their own sin on that day, to each his own. May God have uh, grace to give them eyes to see the truth. What we say in Christ is, I want Jesus to pay for my sin today, so on that day, it's a day of great victory. Choose which fire. Do we want the furnace of Nebuchadnezzar, which is short, and we go there with Jesus? Or do we want the furnace of that day? Each should choose. If you want to avoid the furnace of that day, confess your sin and trust Christ for salvation. All right. That day is a day of reckoning. Go back to Malachi chapter 4, 
verses 2 and 3. Malachi chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. But you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. And on that day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, that will all happen. So in uh, uh, the movie and, and, of course, the books, Lord of the Rings, there's a great battle. It's the Battle of Helm's Deep. Anybody see the films? Anybody, uh, that, the Battle of Helm's Deep. So Aragorn is with King Theoden, and uh, they're uh, in Helm's Deep, and they're being invaded, and they are losing. What did uh, Gandalf tell them just before the battle took place? Gandalf rode off, and he was going to find reinforcements, and he said, listen, look to my coming at the first light of the fifth day. Look to my coming as the sun rises at the first light of the fifth day. So victory at Helm's Deep was simply this. You need to survive long enough for me to get back. You need to survive long enough for me to get back, because when I get back, Gandalf is saying, that's when the victory will actually happen. So the job actually for you guys is not to win. Your job is to endure until I return and bring final victory. This is what we're discovering here in Malachi chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. When we fear his name, the day, the day of victory is not today, unless today turns out to be that day, which wouldn't be bad. The day of victory is that day. That's one of the reasons I love the sunrise. When, you're, when you see the sunrise, now some of us don't get up early enough to see the sunrise. Some of us wish we didn't, okay? But when you see the sun rising, it just reminds me of this every time. One, one of these days, one of these days we will look to his coming and it will be that day. And finally, victory will be had. All of the time, we thought we were supposed to win. We're not. Our job is to endure with patience the furnace God gives us today so that on that day when he comes, we finally say, okay, it's on. Victory is here. We will discover who truly won. On that day, we will finally know real rest. On that day, we will finally know real Sabbath. On that day, we will finally see with uh, full eyes and full hearts the power of the Lord we have been worshiping. On that day, we will know uh, uh, victory. A quick example of this, 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. You don't have to turn there, I'll tell you the story. Uh, all of David's family were living in a town called Ziklag, and David had gone to battle with the Philistines. At the last moment, the Philistines had told him to go home. They were worried he would turn on them. So he went home back to Ziklag, and he discovered uh, that um, the Amalekites had burned Ziklag and taken all of his, uh, his family and all of his men's family kidnapped them, taken all their belongings, and had left. His men, because they're loyal to him, do you remember what they were going to do? You don't remember. They're going to stone him. Yeah, great. Thanks, guys. They were so upset that they had lost everything. Uh, following David, they were going to stone him. Uh, he was able to convince them not to. He prayed to the Lord, should we pursue the Amalekites? And God said, yes. They chased after the Amalekites. On their way, 200 of his 600 men became so exhausted they couldn't continue, so they stopped. They stopped, they stayed with the luggage. They kept running, and they came across an Egyptian in the open country. An Egyptian in the open country, and they came to him, and they gave him a, pea, a, a, a piece of a cake of figs. Fig Newtons is what they gave him. <laughs> Two clusters of raisins, 
When he had eaten, his spirits revived. He ate bread and he drank. And for three days, they nursed this guy back to health. And David said, who do you serve? And he said, listen, I serve an Amalekite. Uh, not smart things to say, guy. Servant Amalekite. I'm his servant. I became sick, so the Amalekite did what normally the Amalekites would do. He chucked me out. He got sick, so he tosses his Egyptian aside, says, good luck with that. So he's dying in a field, and David shows up, and David brings him to health, and, and David says, will you tell us where they're going and give us their movements? And what does the guy say? Only if you won't give me back. So this, why am I bringing up this story? He encountered his Savior, and he said, what I don't want is to go back to my old life. Because his eyes had been opened that his old life was a life of slavery and misery. And as bad as it was, and as bad as his life might be as a captive of David and his men, at least he would be saved. He found his Savior who gave him rest. This is a great picture of what Christ does for us. He comes and saves us, and many times we think, well, what I want to do, I want Jesus to save me so I can have a better life. That Amalekite wasn't saved by David so he could serve his Amalekite master better. He was saved by David so he could serve who? David. And so Jesus comes into our life and he says, I want to save you from the evils of this world and we want to keep our feet in both realms and we don't realize this world has nothing to offer. On that day, we're going to have great and powerful victory of Christ. Why do we uh, split our allegiances? Why do we spend so much time being concerned about the world's things and not the things of the Lord? Because that day is going to be such a great victory, we can hold much more loosely to the things of this place. Okay, look at Romans 8, 18. Romans 8, 18. This is what Paul says, same concept. But instead of telling a story, he just tells us. But we like stories better, don't we? Yeah. I consider that the present sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Anybody suffering in this present time? If you're not suffering, you're not doing it right. Right? For I consider the present sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing to the glory that will be real, revealed in us. Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, had a very clear understanding. The success of his life is defined by that day, not today, not Tuesday, not how this week goes, not how much money I make, not how successful my family is, not any of that. The success of his life is defined by what day? That day. So is that day real or not? If it's not real, I'm telling you, we will not make it through the Christian life. Because what he is calling us to say, oh, today isn't that bad because that day's coming. That day, all the weight falls off. On that day, every single person, regardless of how bad your suffering has been, and for many of us, our suffering has been beyond comparison, no matter how bad it is, on that day we'll look back and go, oh, that was totally worth it. Oh, without question. Nobody on that day will say, ah, I don't know, I could have gone the other way. Nobody will. Everybody on that day who is in Christ will look back and say, oh, that was totally, yes, and yes again, do it again. I would go through it again and then some, knowing now what I see about that day. On that day, we will have rest. On that day, we will have peace. On that day, we will enjoy relationship with God uninterrupted. Okay, go back to Malachi chapter 4. We're going to look at the last uh, couple of verses. Malachi chapter 4, 
uh, verse, verse 3, I think. I can't find Malachi. Is it next to Matthew? There it is. You shall tread down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet. Just remind us again, what are we going to act like on day? You shall go leaping like calves from the stall. I'm looking around the room here, and I can't see in everybody's homes. I'm not seeing a lot of people I've seen do a lot of leaping. You know? And there's no sports on. That's about the only time you and I ever do any leaping is when, when our team uh, wins. Okay, so that day is going to be so powerful, we're going to be leaping and cheering like calves from a stall bursting with life. You'll tread down the wicked. There'll be ashes under the sole of your feet. He's not saying we will have revenge on the wicked. What he is saying is right now the world is upside down. The wicked are in charge. The wicked are blessed. The wicked have things go their way. The wicked, uh, the people cheat and they're not caught. People steal and they get to keep it. People harm others and there's injustice. Good people get trodden down. Evil people uh, are successful. We see this happen over and over and over again. And if you're not sure if you've ever seen it happen, anybody ever watch the news and get mad? Okay, so you know this is happening. All the Bible is saying here is on that day, it's going to be made right side up. That the wicked will be where they ought to be. In the justice of the Lord, relegated to where God has called them to be. Having rejected the Savior, they will be burned in the oven. And the righteous will finally experience the profit of their faith in, in the Lord. They will be properly positioned in the kingdom of God. So he's saying here, we will not be having revenge on the wicked. What he's saying is right now, the wicked, I have all the power and influence. And on that day, things will finally be made the way uh, they were supposed to be. Those in Christ are made whole, and those who reject Christ are destined for judgment. Now, it's very unpopular and it's very offensive to talk about eternal judgment. And in fact, I don't like talking about it. The problem is what? The Bible talks about it in nearly every book of the Bible. To reject Christ is to accept, uh, the will, is to be willing to pay for your own sin. If you want to pay for your own sin, it requires for you to pay for it forever. That's, that's the cost. It's, but every single, they say, well, that doesn't sound right. That what, do you get to choose? And we ought not to be gleeful that the wicked are judged, but we ought to be well aware that every person ought to examine their heart to know on that day you will be among uh, the victorious. Okay, that day is a day of rectoring. I don't know where that came from. That day is a day of reckoning, and that day is a day of victory. Three quick ideas to take with you, and then we're going to close with a song. Wisdom is to fear the Lord. We all don't know that from the book of Proverbs. Wisdom is to fear the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? To live all of our life, excuse me, to live all of our life not in view of what we want today or this year or this month, to live all of our life in view of that day, to define all of my life in terms of that day. That's what it means to fear the Lord. To fear the Lord is to be willing to make choices in obedience that cost me knowing that day is coming. So wisdom is to fear the Lord, and fear, fearing the Lord puts all of my life in its proper perspective by looking at that day. So what ought we to do? Number one is repent and seek God's forgiveness. We ought to be willing to admit we have violated God's ways, we confess we have violated God's ways, and we seek His forgiveness through the work of Christ on the cross. Trusting that what Christ did on the cross forgives us for our sins, delivers us from being stubble, and instead brings us to great victory 
on that day. For those of us who are in Christ, I might say this. We need to rest in Christ today. We strain for the goal, like it says in Hebrews chapter 12 and 13. We strain for the goal, but we can rest in the finished work of Christ because we know that day is coming. And that day will be a day of great rest. Is there any way you as a Christian can mess up that day? No, and some of us have tried. Some of us are varsity level trying to mess up that day. We're never going to do it because he had victory. On that day in Christ, we will have rest and we will have victory. That should give us great hope and great encouragement.